If you would, turn in your Bibles to Ruth, chapter 4. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so. Tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am the next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because it might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth, the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all those at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive. And she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz, the father of Obed, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, 
the father of David. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, of course, the book of Ruth can be read in about 15 minutes, and it's taken me a month to get through it with a few breaks. Let me review for you the story. Why is it even in the Bible? Well, it was happened in the days of the judges, but it's the genealogical record of David. So it was probably written at the time of David, but of events that happened way back in the book of Judges, which were terrible days, days of Israel's apostasy, backsliding, going away from God, and many tragic things took place during those days. But this happens to be one of the most beautiful of stories. I must say to you, I read the Old Testament not like the rabbis did in 2 Corinthians 3, that they read the law having a veil over their eyes. And this veil is removed for us who are in Christ. So I read it with a theological presupposition that this book is ultimately about Christ, not just family records, not just history. Every book in this book, written by 40 human authors, was guided by one divine author. And that author, I come with that presupposition, Christ is all over the Bible. But you must come looking for him, or else you'll just say, why was that in the Bible? And we find out that the word kinsman redeemer is used 23 times in this book. And so I think by analogy, and the reformers called this uh, analogia scriptura, by the analogy of scripture, we could see all kinds of allusions and pictures of Christ without being allegorical or without making up stuff. And so we want to do that as we look. I want to review for you the four chapters Coming three chapters we've covered. Chapter one was the ruin, the ruin of the family that is ultimately redeemed. Uh, here, uh, Elimelech takes his family into Moab, a hated, despised Gentile country that was ancient enemies of Israel, out of the will of God during a famine. And when he goes there, he loses his own life, he loses two sons, and who's left but Naomi, one pagan daughter-in-law who still worshiped the god Chemosh of Moab, and Ruth, who has been converted to Judaism and to the god of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so she goes out pleasant, which that's what her name means, and when she comes back, she tells the village women, call me Mara, for the hand of God has been against me. I am in bitterness of soul. I've been stripped. I have no grandchildren. I have no children. I have no husband. I come back broke, and I've got this clinging daughter-in-law who won't give up on me, but I can't take care of her. Desperate straits. Chapter 2, Ruth, obeying her mother-in-law's instruction, goes out and does what Deuteronomy and Leviticus said you must do. The fields were to always leave something in the corner for the widow, the orphan, the alien, the stranger. Go out and glean. It just so happens, it just happens that she winds up in the field 
of a kinsman redeemer named Boaz. Ruth doesn't know this. Naomi doesn't know it when she sends her out. At the end of the day, Ruth says, I got into the field of a man today who gave all kinds of grain to me. Matter of fact, Naomi, he prayed that I would come under the wings of God, that I would come under divine protection because I'm a Gentile widow in a Jewish city and I have no future because my only future is that someone would marry me. I'm still a young woman, but I'm a Gentile. It's very unlikely that anybody will look on me. And I am going to take care of you, but I, I have no assets. I have no children. I just glean, but I know this much. I met a man today that prayed God would bless me, that God would provide for me. Chapter 3, mother-in-law instructs Ruth, I want you to go to the gleaning place and the threshing floor of this man, Boaz. Put on some midnight in Bethlehem perfume and do your best to go down and get his attention because this man is obviously a good man. He is a kinsman. And if he would, he could rescue our property that's going to be up for sale. He might just be God's means of putting you under the wings of God. And as we looked at chapter 3, the covering of his garment is the same Hebrew word that he prayed in chapter 2, put you under his wings. Under his wings or under the covering of his garment. And she went there. And he did cover her. And she said, would you redeem me? You're the one that can redeem me. And he said, if I can redeem you, I'll do everything as quick as I can to redeem you. And she goes back to Naomi before the sun comes up. And now we move from that threshing floor. That night has ended. Let's think of 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock in the morning when the city is awaking and coming alive. Immediately from the threshing floor, he goes to the city gate, and according to custom, to transact business, you needed 10 Jewish men. So he gets the 10 Jewish men, and they come together. So we're in chapter 4, and this is where he goes immediately to see what he can do to redeem the property, to redeem this young lady, he already knows there's another kinsman in line, so they must transact business and see how providence will turn this out. What an amazing thing that's going to go. Three things I want us to look at. First of all, of all things, an unwilling redeemer. Two, a willing redeemer. And concluding this book, what analogies do we see in the redeemer Christ? for us in this whole narrative. We come to chapter 1, or rather 4, and uh, they gather at the city gate. They sit down, and uh, the nearest of kin is told about Ruth. I don't know that he's ever met Ruth. He's certainly not in love with her, not like Boaz. 
He's not impressed with her. She wasn't in his field. This is a brand new case to him. And the case is being laid out. There's property that needs to be redeemed for our kinfolks. And by Levitical law, you must redeem the property of Elimelech and Naomi. You must do that. And this would be very advantageous for the Redeemer that did it because there were no sons around. So that property would become his when Naomi died. It would be a great financial deal. I'll get the property as an ownership. We're still in the same family, but it's going to transfer. Wonderful way to gain some land. But there's a twist that happens. And that is in the story, when the property is thrown out there, what does the Redeemer say? Good financial deal? I'll buy it. I want it. You got it. And then skillfully, Boaz says, oh, by the way, guess what else comes with it? You get a wife. And you get to raise up a child. Because the law would say the first child born is in the name of Malon, the husband that died, Ruth's husband. That first boy that's born to the family will really go to perpetuate the name of Elimelech and Malon. And all of a sudden, he's broke. All of a sudden, he says, I can't do it. Oh, you can do it. You already said you can do it. Finances are not the problem. It's willingness. You see, it's one thing to be able to do something. It's another thing to be willing to do it. I could if I would. I would if I could. Do you ever say that about the offering plate? I would if I could. I'd just write him a million-dollar check. And then you get over here, God blesses you. You could if you would. You got it, but that doesn't mean we get it. Because there has to be willingness. There was ability, but there was not willingness. And so he says, I cannot take on. I want the property, but I don't want the woman. And according to the law, according to the law, he was not obligated to take her. Back in Deuteronomy 25, there was a strange legislation that went like this. If your wife died, and I happened to be your brother, by the law, it was fitting that I should step in and take your wife to perpetuate children in your name, at least the firstborn son. In this situation, the nearest of kin was not a brother to one of the boys that died. So that obligation, he was not really a brother-in-law. He was just kinsman. Could have been an uncle, could have been a nephew, some kind of kin, but he was not a brother-in-law to Malon. So you don't see any spitting in his face in this narrative. Where Deuteronomy 25 said, if you don't take a man's wife once he died and raise up children, She's able to spit in his face in front of all the elders, and he's to take off his shoe in shame. 
you're unable, you're unwilling, and you're shameful. None of that happens. Because the appeal that Boaz makes is not really to the law, but won't you be gracious? Won't you be gracious? Because if we get the land back, Naomi and Ruth are still in jeopardy. Naomi's past childbearing years, we don't know how old she is. Ruth is still a young woman. Who knows who will marry her? Who knows what her future is going to be? But what does he say? I, I can't take her on because I may, I may jeopardize my estate. Here's how it would go. He's already figured out out of the children he has who gets what, who gets this or that. Whoa, if I take on this woman and we have a son, I've got to divvy up what I've got. I've got to add another. I was giving away thirds. Now I've got to give away fourths. I've got the family will already made. The portfolio's intact. I don't need to mess up my business by taking on a woman that I don't even know, that I don't love, that I don't care for. And it goes down in history as the nameless, unwilling redeemer. We never get his name. We don't even know who he is. And so, in the context of this, they did a practice that seemed to have faded away in history. The unwilling redeemer takes off his shoe, hands it to Boaz, and says, I don't want the deal. I don't buy the terms. This is not a deal I want. So, Ruth and Naomi are as bad off as ever if that's all there was to it. But there's a difference in Boaz. He's a willing redeemer. And watch what he says. After the exchange of the sandals, verse 8, so when the redeemer, the first in line, said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off a sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi, all that belonged to Elimelech, all that belonged to Chilion, and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses today what a marvelous uh, story of the prince riding in, uh, not on a white horse, but with some cash, with some willingness. You see, somebody had to be able, someone had to be willing in order to redeem this woman and this land. And so he says, I'm able and I'm willing. He bought the land and... Uh, he bought Ruth, the Moabite, and uh, he ultimately becomes a rescuer of Naomi. Now, the townspeople, they, they are happy. They are thrilled because Ruth has got a reputation for being good to Naomi. She's got a reputation for being a, a godly woman, a hard worker, taking care. Every morning, she's the one in the field. Mother-in-law is telling her what to do. 
but she's the gal doing the work. Now, listen to how they bless. May you be fruitful. May you be like Leah and Rachel. And may your husband be famous in Ephrathah. That's one of the names for Bethlehem. May he be like Perez. Perez was one of the descendants of Judah. And he became the head of the clan known as the Bethlehemites. May you become as fruitful and as well-known. And here, just out of, on the pages of history, Boaz comes out of nowhere. The kinsman that would not redeem fades. Ruth should have faded. Naomi should have faded. But you never know what God wants to do with your family tree. You never know when you might meet the real Redeemer that can change the destiny of your life. Headed for death, they were living in widowhood, facing starvation, nameless as it were, no grandchildren, no one to hug, just two women without welfare. Who knows? But she just happened in the field of Boaz. Just happened, chance. And so, what's going to happen? This Redeemer gets a wife. You see, Boaz was getting up in age. He could have been Naomi's age. And uh, you know what's interesting? He marries this gal who's been barren. That's another risk. I, I doubt that very many Jewish men, they would have asked her, did you have any children in the first marriage? Because the Jewish hope was to be part of the Messiah, to bring the line on. Who would want to marry a gal that's barren? She would be viewed as under a divine curse. Why don't you have any children? Why didn't you ask that, Boaz? No children down in Moab. Nothing but death. Nothing but sorrow. You're out of the will of God. You've left the city of bread. You went away from God, and Naomi got it right. The hand of God's been against you. I love that Dallas Holmes song. There's been times I've been out of his will, but I've never been out of his care. Have you ever made a choice just to go out of the will of God? I'll come back to you later. I'll sow my wild oats, or in this decision, I'm going to do it my way. And you've gone, and, and barrenness, and the hand of God seemed to be against you. Well, here's a man that says, I want to marry a gal that's been barren so far. But guess what? When she gets in the arms of the right man and the Redeemer and the will of God, we've got a baby being born. And a baby is born, and all of a sudden, Naomi is hearing the local women say, God's restoration has come to you. Your, your face is going to be lifted up. No longer will you be called Mara. No longer will you be a sad woman and sensing the hand of God. Everything changed when she went into the field of Boaz. Just met the right man who fell in love with her, who had the means and just happened to be a kinsman. And so they say to her, 
a redeemer is going to be born to you. And they're really talking about the firstborn child. And he shall restore you. He shall bring back everything. And she had no idea that this is going to be a part of the messianic line. David hasn't shown up yet. These are the ancestors of David. They, they've never heard of a Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7. They haven't heard anything about a millennial reign of Christ. She knows nothing about Christ coming and Messiah yet. It's faint out there, but not a clue that she is going to be in the line. Transferred. Naomi, when the child came, some believe she adopted the child. Some scholars argue that. Who knows? But she became the nanny. She became, they had built-in babysitting, let's say that. Ruth didn't have to worry about who's going to take care of Obed. There was that baby said, this family tree will continue. This line will continue. And it goes on then to give the genealogy of David. David could say, this is my family tree. This is how I got here. These are the people. God squeezed in a Moabite girl. It's amazing. In the genealogy of Christ, we get a prostitute, Rahab. We get a willing adulteress, Bathsheba. And here we got a Moabite Gentile enemy, Ruth, all wind up in the Messianic line. It's an amazing thing that God wove in, we who were the ancient enemies of Israel, that we should be at the same table, that we should be in the same family in Christ. It's a marvelous thing. I hope you're not an anti-Semitic person. I hope you pray for Jews. I hope you pray God had saved them. God loves them. They're no harder uh, than you were without Christ. Uh, God loves them. He's not done with them. And let me say this. Just because you're Jewish, you're not going to heaven. Any more than just being a Baptist is going to get you to heaven. Sometimes we say, if you're a Jew, you've already got it made. No, you don't. They stumbled at the cross. They need to be evangelized. They're lost. They're lost. Do you pray for your Jewish friends? Do you ever pray that God open the eye of the Gentiles and open the eyes of the Jews? What a marvelous thing how God is showing us in history, Jew and Gentile are going to come together. Now, what can we see in all this? Is there any analogy I see? First of all, I see in this marvelous picture of kinsman redeemer, the first requirement is you've got to be my kinsman. And I listened to Hebrews 2 that he said, he did not come to bring help to angels. Christ did not ever save angels. Every angel that rebelled against Christ, there is no salvation. There is no help. God has never reached out towards fallen spirit beings. One choice sealed their doom eternally. One choice. But he sent Christ to come for us who were less than angels, beneath angels. And he says in Hebrews 2 that he may lay hold of the descendants of Abraham that comes to be the descendants of the human race. He came and was born among us, tempted in all points like we are. 
He said in Hebrews 10, Thou hast not desired animal sacrifices, but a body you have formed for me. And I'm coming in a human body to deal with the human problem and to think of God, according to John, that he pitched a tent. He literally tabernacled among us, and we viewed his glory as the glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. Our God became a man tented among us, and John could say, we touched him. And he says it in the tents in the Greek. We touched him, and we can still feel the touch. We heard him, and we can still hear his voice. We saw him, and we still can see him. It's a strange thing. It doesn't happen every day. But this morning, I was talking to my mom and dad. I, I, I don't do that two times a year. But just this morning when I was saving everything, I just, talk, I just see my dad and mom. And I just said, oh, man, would it not be a treat to be talking with them right now? But I'll see them future. But John said in 90 AD, I saw God. I touched God. I heard God. He was in a human form. And only Antichrist deny that he came in a body. He became our kinsman. He's acquainted with our bankruptcy. And then, was he able? I love this verse. If you turn with me, let me just turn you to two verses. I'm listening. We have two Bibles here. We use the Bible in this church. I'm listening. Are you turning? Titus, and if you were in the Spirit, you would know. <laughs> Titus 2. Titus 2. All the carnal believers get it. Come on now. Titus 2. Forgive me. That was an insincere apology. Look at 2.14. Are you there? Titus 2. Speaking of Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to kinsmen redeemer us, to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own, possessing who are zealous for good works. That's why I wanted us to sing redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. I'm a redeemed person as you are. Every believer can say, I've been bought. And have you ever thought about what your family would put up for you if you were kidnapped? It's a little scary especially for my family. I'm afraid they say keep him. They don't kidnap poor people's children. There's nothing to negotiate with, right? When I lived in South Richmond in the 40s and 50s, nobody ever, we had no robberies in the project. What's there to steal? But he said Christ gave himself as the ransom for us. Mark 10, 45, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom. And what is a ransom? Literally, 
It is the giving of a sum, whatever that is, giving a price to release something that you want to redeem. I want to get this mic. I got to give the store clerk, here's so much money, it's cost 100 bucks. In essence, every time you go shopping, you redeem, but we've ruined it by Visa because we don't know who owns it. But if it's cash, you know I own this. I paid the exchange price. And to get you to heaven, somebody had to pay the price. Christ said, I ransomed you. He looked at 1 Peter uh, when he said, when God ransomed you in chapter 1, it didn't come out of coinage. It didn't come from gold and silver. But notice verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Christ is able because of the worth of his person. And of course, he's willing. I, um, I'm amazed at how simple the thought is that I'm going to share with you, but how uh, I've been profoundly moved by it. I- I've never thought of it till this series on Ruth. And that is that every sacrifice up to Christ, the sacrifice itself never was willing to be sacrificed. I mean, it just worked out that you happen to be a sheep born into the household of a guy that loves God, and guess what? It might be curtains for you next year because he may want to give you to the priest. And so what was really at stake, the active part, was the worshiper, but what the worshiper gave The sacrifice had no say, no say whatsoever. The wheat didn't say, I want to be given. Uh, The bullock didn't say, I want to be burned up. The lamb did not say, I want my throat slit and my blood poured out. No sacrifice was ever willing. None, none, none. The only willing sacrifice we have in all the Bible is Christ himself. For he was not only the giver, but the gift that was given. Not only was God so loved the world that he gave his son, but we've got John 10 where the son could say, I so love my sheep that I gave myself. Active participation. Boaz has nobody twisting his arm to buy this girl or this property. One was just straight business. The other was grace kindness, love. I want more than property. I've got plenty of property. And you see, God could have said, I'm going to redeem the earth from its curse. I want to turn away the thorn and the thistle and the desert and everything that's wrecked the earth. But no, I want enemies. I want those who oppose me. I want those who partook of the sin of Adam and have learned to hate me, reject me, break everything holy about me. I'm coming to die for my enemies.
For while we were his enemies, Christ died. Able and willing, this is our Redeemer. I have a kinsman Redeemer who came all the way from heaven, showed his ability to die under the wrath of God, and hear his father forsake him because he wanted to buy me out and make me his own. So he says in the scriptures, you've been bought with a price. You're not your own. When was the purchase? At the cross. At the cross. God bought you. I uh, remember growing up as a boy, hearing the story of a young man that had fled home, had a rift with his mom and dad, and fled home, and as the years rolled by, he became homesick. He wanted to see mom and dad, but he left on bad terms. He wrote mom and dad, he's just country boy. Their house is down by the railroad. There's a certain place where the train came around a bend, and his folks' place was there on the left. And he wrote, and he said, Mom and Dad, I know I hurt you deeply when I left, and it's been some years now, but I'm homesick. I want to see you. The years are rolling over you and me. I don't want the rift anymore. I don't know if I'm welcome. I don't know if you are willing to see me. But I... I'm going to get a ticket. I'm going to take the train. And I'm going to do this. If you'll do this for me, if I'm welcome, if mom would just put out one sheet, put it in the backyard there where she hangs clothes, I'll know that I'm welcome. If not, I'll keep on going. And I won't bother you anymore. The day came, the boys on the train. And as he comes to the town where he grew up, they had to go to another stop that would be passing the old home place. And as they came to that bend, the boy started looking, started looking in the backyard of where he grew up. And when he looked there, all he could see was sheets. Every line, every line had a sheet hung up. Everywhere he saw, nothing but sheets. All they were trying to say is, welcome home. You see, Calvary was where God hung out the sheet. Calvary is where God said, uh, you've lost everything in the fall. Some of you may be here today, you're desperately in need of a redeemer. And what we find in Boaz, he was willing. But do you remember the story before this scene, before the city gate? This woman came, and she put herself at the feet of Boaz at the threshing floor. And she said, please, throw the hem of your garment around me. Throw your wings around me. I need your help. And I don't know about you, but the most stubborn being on the face of the earth happens to be people like you. We can teach donkeys better than we can teach some people. Because the human will is stubborn, proud, and even when you're barren, even when you're bankrupt, 
even when you're going to hell, you can still say no to a redeemer. It, it, it baffles me. You see, we believe you've got a free will. You've got a free will. Did you know that? But let me tell you something about your will. You're as free as a bird in a cage. You just don't know how to get out of the cage. Or you're just as free, if I was quoting Jonathan Edwards, you are free to choose within your nature. You only choose within keeping of your nature. Now, let me give you an example, and I love this. Jonathan Edwards gave it to me, and I think it's the best. You're free, but you choose within your nature. Do you ever go out, and there's ice cream on the menu, and it says, uh, uh, let's say, chocolate strawberry, and you want ice cream, and they come and say, there's no vanilla. It says, no, no, thank you. I, Wait, you want ice cream? I do. Do you have vanilla? No. Sir, we've got chocolate. Got I said I want vanilla. So you're free to choose. You could have some chocolate. Why don't you? It's ice cream, right? I don't like chocolate. Do you like ice cream? I like chocolate ice cream or vanilla ice cream. I think of a lion and the cow. The cow's starving to death, so we go out there and we throw 20 pounds of steaks. <laughs> what happens to the cow? Huh? Starves to death with a hamburger in its mouth. There's nothing in that steak that that cow's ever going to go for. Die of starvation with 20 steaks in front of it. You know why? That cow chooses within its nature. It, it lives on grass. Guess what? Throw a bale of hay out in front of a hungry lion. Will that feed him? What's wrong? They choose in keeping with their nature, and you by nature are a slave to sin. He that practices sin is the slave of sin, John 8. But I've come that you might be set free. You're free to choose within your nature, and your nature is to hate God, to be religious, and to reject Christ because we are self-sufficient going to hell people. And it takes the grace of God to say, we're really broke. We're really incapable of this transaction. We need a redeemer. We need some out, one else to step up for us, to pay our debt, to speak for us. What is amazing, to find somebody that loves us enough that they would pay a price to have us. It's amazing to me, people who adopt children. Why do you adopt a liability? We've got people in this church pay $10,000, $10,000 to ever have to feed, clothe, and care for a kid that may be a brat. We call this adoption. You don't know what the child's going to be. I want to tell you, the two grandsons that we have that have been adopted, 
Man, we're praying they'll get saved quick. If they act like anything like those who beget them, they'll be wasted. But guess what? When you love, you can do what seems irrational. It's not a good business deal. It's just life-saving. And God didn't make a good business deal at the cross when he divested himself to purchase you. But Christ is the only one I know willing to step up and buy us. Nobody else would have us. He's our Redeemer, willing, able, capable. This is Christ, Christ our Redeemer. If you want him, you can come to him. He's willing. The issue in your life is are you willing to receive him? Father, we thank you for our Redeemer. We thank you for his redemptive love and mercy and that he stepped up in the marketplace to purchase us, to adopt us, to make us his own. We were not children of God by birth, but children of Adam's fallen race. Oh, Father, move in the heart of those who may not know you, who have never received you by faith. Would you open their eyes, show them Christ, the blessed Redeemer, how he paid a price, and they could enter into the enjoyment of that redemption by faith and faith alone. Save is our prayer. Save in Jesus' name. Amen.